Leaving Las Vegas contains strong opinions and strong language. Listener discretion is advised. Set in the fifties, isn't it? It's, well, it's set, well, no, set in the late sixties. Late sixties. Jack K dies, doesn't yes. he? Yeah, yeah. Um, spoilers. Leaving Las Vegas. Leaving Las Vegas. Hey, how you doing? It's Craig Tui. This is uh, whatever my podcast is called, Leaving Las Craigus. It's been a while. I haven't really been doing much on lockdown, but wanted to get chatting again. Um, I'm going to start doing some film podcasts uh, more regularly now. And one of the strands that me and Colin were talking about doing was talking about um, if you've seen, if you like this film, then maybe you should check out this film. And I wanted to start with uh, one of my favourite films today, which is The Wanderers. Um, and it's if you have seen and if you like The Warriors, which is very, very well known and very well appreciated, then maybe you should check out The Wanderers. The Wanderers isn't the most obscure movie in the world, but I'm always amazed how many people who love The Warriors haven't seen The Wanderers. And I just wanted to get into a bit of that. And I've got my good friend Screaming Joe Sang right here with me. Say hello. 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 Well done. Uh, Right on cue. You're a a pro. Um, Because because me and Joe both love this film so much that we once got... Wow, wow. We got hella drunk. Many times did we get hella drunk. Many times did we chat about The Wanderers and how it's so much better than The Warriors. And then one time we sat down and watched it, didn't we? We watched it. I just got the German... Because it's still not released over here on uh, Blu-ray. It's not, is it? I think so. And I got the German, like, digi-pack, like, really nice Blu-ray. And it came with the seven minutes, apparently, which had never been seen before. And it was restored. And we watched it. And every time anything happened, we were going, that's new, that's new. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a shot. Yeah. Just a shot. I've never seen that shot. Exactly. Before. Oh, you can see more of his dick off the bridge. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that once I looked into it it is the same version we saw just in Germany I think it had been cut but yeah we got we got shit face drug we watched the whole movie and then we skipped it back and we watched the whole movie again with the director's commentary yeah uh, that was which uh, was an amazing director's commentary that I can remember absolutely nothing yes, about exactly. yeah, but that's that's how much we love this movie watched it twice back to back finished at about four o'clock in the morning yep. both had work the next day yep. um, but yeah I wanted to start with why I've got Joe here um, we have both just directed films so I wanted to talk a little bit about that oh, sorry one thing sorry to interrupt yeah, go Craig, on. but uh, one caveat that if we are going to be doing a podcast together you got to promise me one oh, thing oh god what quit being such an asshole <laughs> I can't promise that. <laughs> I was bringing it around as a Wanderers reference. Yeah, I know. I got the For reference. the people out there that haven't seen it, spoilers, he says that in The Wanderers. <laughs> yeah, watch The Wanderers. Mm. So I just directed a film. You just directed a film. They're quite different films, yeah. mine and yours. Mm-hmm. Tell us tell us what you've done. Uh, so this was, after having a bunch of... Um, films in development hell where the various production companies you know obviously the nature of the game they just go around in circles and by the time anything ever gets made you know it's uh, we're all long dead so i figured um i figured i'll just um take this concept i've been working on for a while strip it down to its most bare bones and uh go and shoot that in spain because i've been wanting to shoot in spain for years and because the it, the idea was that it looks something like if 
Sergio Leone and John Waters had mutant Siamese babies, then this would uh, this would be it. So it's uh, it's the it's the age old tale about property developers trying to get a uh, former Siamese twin singing diva <laughs> out of her house uh, because they've bought up all the property in the local area, and there's this one person who won't leave because she believes that there's one half a person. Yes, because she she believes. Well, they, they were only joined slightly at the hip, kind of based on uh, the Hilton twins who appear in Todd Browning's. Freaks. They were these these twins that were born in Brighton in the early 1900s and went on to become these big vaudeville stars. And they kind of looked like kind of like uh, you know little divas that were just sort of joined at the hip, so they, they weren't sharing any limbs or any it's like one like fingernail. That. Basically, one yeah. Exactly. So there's um, so the idea being that you've got these guys who have bought up all the land. It's out in the barren, you know, badlands. And this one, this one woman won't leave because she believes that her estranged Siamese twin is somehow trapped there in her essence. So she she doesn't want to leave her. Uh, so you've got the situation. I feel like I've seen this a thousand times. Do you know what I mean? Like, I figured, it's just so old hack. Isn't exactly. It? I figured. You know what? I'm just going to play it safe. I'm going to do so and just try to test it. And, <laughs> Siamese uh, twin in the fountain story. Exactly. Everyone knows that. Exactly. What, There's what seven happens? stories, isn't there? Exactly. You go back to you go back to Greek mythology. Yes, <laughs> there. Uh, so like um, so yeah so the idea being that you've got this gangster you've got this guy who's not quite a gangster he's a bit of a hustler he's trying to get her out the gangsters are like fuck this we put too much money into this she's standing in the way we're going to have to do what we got to do he's trying to mediate the situation he thought he could convince her or buy her off he's struggling so you've got this dude who's sort of stuck between an unstoppable force and an unmovable object and he's kind of just trying to navigate the situation so um, and then yeah it's aesthetically uh, very very sad but it's set no time in particular we got some cool automobiles I got a uh, a really cool old um, like 50s car I forget I forget what it is now um, off this Elvis impersonator from Benidorm uh, who drove it up one day and uh, that was pretty cool so it's, it's like a western noir yeah sort of like yeah with um, dark humour Exactly, yeah, and it, it kind of a lot of it is then you know told through backstory of what's this it called? Like, so called Spider Sisters. Spider Sisters. Spider Sisters. The separation of Evangela Tarantula. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, and it's about 35, 40 minutes long, and and there'll be there'll be a version of it which is just under thirty minutes for um, for the festivals. But yeah, I just went all out, and rather than a lot of you know the last films I did, if you remember Lights Out for Christmas Town, they're all self-contained scenes where they. Were shorts much more in the traditional sense where you got a self-contained scene in one location whereas this one I just came out as though it was a movie and shot in several locations uh, got a soundtrack done uh, by a dude named Richard Torres uh, who's based out there in Spain and a opera singer uh, Caroline Campbell who uh, she sings with like Cradle of Filth and stuff so I was oh, like wow awesome. you know what well, so it's got like an operatics it's yeah. got like a western feel score so you've yeah. just gone out and just put this together haven't you You're just yeah. like let's fucking make something absolutely it's yeah. too hard to go through for you know for anyone who's tried to go through the process of, of actually trying to get your film made through the regular channels when it's a first film it's next to impossible it's yeah it's really fucking hard yeah and and then the, the amount of the amount of shit that you've got to eat because it's your first film and people kind of saying oh well you know it's your first time so we're going to just take this and completely you know rework it in ways that you might not you might not see as being right for the project and then I figured well you know what um, 
I sort of saved up. I, I made the whole thing on it. It was about eight and a half grand. Could have been done less, but we shot it during COVID and, um, you know, you had to get extra transport. It, it was done, you know, it was, a, it was a little window we had there in Spain where yeah, you, we, you yeah, could work the same, yeah. and you could shoot and it was largely outside. So we got kind of lucky because they locked down again when I left. We shot it in December and then by January, Spain was on full lockdown again. So we kind of swooped in and got that done and um, had a great DOP in, in Yaki Garais who came down from from Barcelona, people came from all over Spain. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's looking amazing. It's just very fortunate that I got a lot of people out there on downtime. And when you shoot out there and if you're going for that Sergio Leone vibe, you know, Which you're I laughing. Mean, you know, why yeah, wouldn't you? Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. You know. so where in Spain were you shooting? This was all around Alicante. Right, yeah, so that's a beautiful part of the world. But I love that. It's like, there is, it's a special mindset with filmmakers where like, with independent filmmakers where it's just like a burning need so like you haven't thought about the audience or the route to market or you're just like I've got to tell a story where'd the inspiration for something like that come from because that's just so out there and that's what I love about your imagination is it's, it is actual imagination everything I write is something based off of personal experience you know everything's personal with me and, and I sort of make them for me yeah. rather than the audience which is probably stupid but yours are very filled with imagination yeah I mean I, I suppose they're, they're always they're, they're rooted in something very run of the mill and very familiar to everyone like, but then they just get abstracted through these kind of fantastical filters like this one ultimately it's you are saying about, something about gentrification. Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah There's yeah, something yeah. about gentrification there. And there was also, also something about uh, other projects that I've worked on in the past and that haven't worked out or they end up, you know, kind of if you feel that certain things within the arts are getting, uh, you know, if you feel they're getting taken away or, or, or taken in a direction you're not into, then the, um, you know, that's a, that's a hard thing to, to, to let go. And the, a lot of the themes there were just... Yeah, it was about a sort of, I suppose, a separation anxiety, someone who felt like, you know, part of them, you know, uh, had been estranged or was missing and they were trying to reconnect with it. Um, so they didn't want to let it go and they've, they've hooked onto this one totem yeah, that exactly. they may or may not actually mean anything, but they just can't move away from it. Exactly. That's quite nice, actually. That is quite deep. Yeah, cheers. It's, it's all, and, and that could be anything. You know, it could be to do with a breakup or anything like that. And you're just projecting all of this... All of this. Kind I'm of like it with Battlefield 4. Everyone's moved on to the new Battlefield, yeah. and I'm still pining for Battlefield 4. I, I'm like it with Battlefield Earth. Everyone's like, mate, it's a dumb shit. We've worked out what you're doing, and I'm like, no! It's Venky 4 is, and it's what like you happened. just don't understand. <laughs> 8,000 years ago, Zenu. Yeah, exactly. But, <laughs> you just don't get it, man. Yeah, yeah no, they are, they are nice thieves. It's, it, the most frustrating thing about getting a film made is that you have to you inevitably go through gatekeeper after gatekeeper after gatekeeper you will meet someone who will introduce you to the money but they and they'll introduce you to the sales mm -hmm. agent and they'll introduce you to the distributor and everyone will have a say and you'll get pulled in 8000 different directions yeah. with my so with my project my project is very different it's it's a feature film it's a 90 minute feature film it's a psychological thriller and it's sort of based off my experiences in relationships in the work environment and as being a father and it is sort of influenced by the me too times up movement and it is a, it's a thriller that starts out as a hostage situation and then evol evolves into a personal vendetta reveal mm -hmm. it's quite dark and it's quite nasty and i've made it i've also made it for a very cheap budget uh, you know it's under a million pounds it's super super low budget indie um 
Uh, but I, for the first time, was given pretty, pretty free range. They gave me the money and they sort of left me alone. And mm. we've had some debates on the title. It's currently called Unloved Ones, right. but that doesn't sound like a thriller horror. So yeah. we might have to push. I have my reasons for that. It's about Unloved Ones is about people who are victims of trauma go on to perpetuate trauma yeah. and that becomes a cycle so un unloved ones don't know how to love so they right. do damage and they create unloved ones who don't know how to love you know so it's about this cycle of trauma um, which is, I think is a clever title yeah, but, but it's not a thriller so you know so. but other than that I've pretty much been left to my own devices which felt like a blessing but maybe a curse because everything lives or dies on me um, because I can't say well they pushed me with, for that lead actor or they pushed me to film in that location or they made me take that composer or they made me drop that scene nobody's made me drop anything I did I had a conversation with the lead actress Jamie Winston who didn't want to read one line of dialogue right. where she was like um, I think that's do you mean there's one line of dialogue she didn't want to read or she didn't want to read one line of dialogue <laughs> yeah. Freestyling this whole movie, thank you, Craig. It's just all in done in yeah. time. Yeah. The whole thing is just. Right. <laughs> yeah, she's a cart. She does this beautiful cartwheel at one point. <laughs> a range of emotions. That works for the artist, you know. Yeah, that's right. We didn't have the dog. We couldn't afford the dog. <laughs> well, we killed the dog on the first day. Um, no, but yeah. So yeah, she she was like, I don't want to say that. And uh, and she explained why, and we changed it, and she was totally right. It was putting the onus and the focus in the wrong place and blaming the wrong person for something, and we changed it to something much better. And that was literally... I had one other concession where the stuntmen refused to fall down a flight of stairs mm. because it was just way too dangerous, and we had to rewrite that scene. But other than those two compromises, I was pretty much left to my own. But now that I'm seeing it when you look at your own work you see all the faults and what you couldn't achieve and I can tell you now what one of your faults there was you got bitch ass stuntmen that's what it is <laughs> you gotta get yourself a, you know that guy in Robocop really melted himself <laughs> for the uh, that's what you gotta get man that's, uh, <laughs> they had to ship in the toxic waste from Peru yep. like, they had to siphon it out of a lake they went through four stuntmen because the lighting just wasn't right on that first they go for that Terrence Malin golden hour and, uh, <laughs> This is my big. This is my big break in Hollywood, and I'm gonna do it right. From now on, he's only worked in the guy who made Street Trash. He's only worked in his follow-up IA videos. Yeah, yeah. They couldn't afford him for Frankenhooker, unfortunately. He was why the effects are so bad. He was the blob in the yeah. blob. Sweet remix. Yeah. So. Oh dear, oh dear. But hey, he did a good job because we're still talking about it. You know, yeah. Thirty-five years later. One of the best stunts I've ever seen. Yeah. Even in the way. Yeah. The way he explodes. Yeah. The way that car hit him, it was pure art, man. That's the love of the job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, stop it. Yeah, they need to build a monument somewhere to the fallen, to the, all the stuntmen yeah. that <laughs> melted themselves and threw themselves in cars for B-movie shock value. <laughs> The, 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 the trauma medal of honor they call yeah, it could you imagine what the trauma stuntmen yeah. for union parties must look like just all these fucked up blobs in the corner how many watermelons had to die to, to look like a, an exploding head oh dear god in heaven um, so how did you find the directing gig like yeah, com it, comparing it, writing to directing no it was, it was great because because um, uh, you know like I said it, it was 
I, I mean, on, on what you were saying about having uh, having certain creative freedoms, it, you, you're right. It, it can be a burden, and it is it is about just striking that balance. You you need the right producers who can, you know. I've had another project that is set you know, set in Spain, the Alejandro one. We went through years of um, of uh, you know development, and uh, again, some some great stuff there, and. It, uh, Hopefully by the time we actually shoot it, it will be in a place that everybody's happy with. You so know? this so, is like a this is part of a wider world. Yeah, yeah. So there's one there's, there's one in development which uh, which I've written, uh, and then it's just um, sort of it's been the last few years have been sort of ironing that out. And uh, but then in the meantime, I thought, well, why that's going on? Because there's no guarantees. It would be nice to just go and shoot something because yeah. the last thing I shot was was ten years ago. So I've done the whole. Um, you know, directing, that was the first thing I'd properly directed that wasn't, you know, a, a music video because mm. I, I started out doing UK hip hop stuff way back, you know, 20 odd years ago. And then then uh, working on that that f film, The um, Christmas Town, it was very jarmish, like it was black and white, like I said, just two people in one space. Yeah. And all of the story was conveyed through dialogue. Yeah, it's like a series of vignettes, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and they were just woven together thematically. Um, and it was it was cool, but obviously it's a much easier gig because each one of them was one day, so you're not really worried about continuity and things like yeah, that. Yeah, it's a series of short films essentially. Yeah, yeah, and it was shot over a period of a couple of years, as and when I you know got the money together to shoot it. Whereas this one was you know it was like a twelve day shoot, and everything had to be in place beforehand. Whereas I was sort of cobbling things together yeah. as and when with the other project, but uh, no, it was great. It was exactly what. Um, what I uh, needed to be let off my leash to go and do. There was no, there was no teething issues. There was nothing like that because you know you've been so sort of um, eager to do it for so long. Yeah. By the time sometimes it works that way that you go out there and you just you know you you know exactly what you need to do and you just go all in with it. So I did get really lucky because as we know, the gods of film can really shit upon you sometimes. And yeah. With this one, I just got really lucky with the crew that I had and everybody and. Um, it was a very well-oiled machine and there were no major problems, not any major problems. That's beautiful. Yeah, you, you've always got these minor reruns. We had a situation where on the third day, our DOP had some bites on his head. So we were all isolating in a bubble. We were all got tested, got together, got in the hotel, didn't leave, you know, didn't leave the bubble. DOP gets some bites on his head. We send him to the doctors to get checked out. They say, "Oh, it looks like it might be something, something virulent." Or whatever. So this is so you you were shooting this in the UK as well. Sh shooting it in the yeah. UK, but obeying all the COVID. So we had a COVID officer on set. Yeah. Everyone's tested a week beforehand, then uh, two weeks beforehand, then a week beforehand. Masks on all day. Te um, temperature tests in the morning. Daily tests. COVID testing. Um, and then if anyone gets positive, we've got to work out what we do, but we're all isolated. So maybe sending, if you know someone comes in with a positive test, sending everyone away doesn't make sense because we might all have it. Mm. So we probably just keep on shooting and hope nobody gets sick because yeah. we're in our, in our own little bubbles. If you send everyone home, you're maybe spreading the disease. So everyone was on board and signed up with that. But then the DOP gets these bites on his head or these marks on his head and we have to send him to the doctor and then when he comes back the covid office like covid office is like he can't come back on set he's been outside he's been outside the bubble Jeez. so so we're about four days in five days in and i'm like oh, i haven't got the dop dop can't come back on set so then we had to make these 
basically executive decisions where I just got the whole crew together and said, look, what do you want to do? Do we shut it down now and go for the insurance? And I'm like, oh, it's taking me three years to try and get this film away. And then five days in, we got a can and everyone said, no, we want him back in the house. So by executive decision, you literally, you killed Kurt Russell in the first 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. So I've just got to prove to people how to play. Yeah. That's exactly no what idea, we did. Man. <laughs> Film references coming at you thick and fast today. Yeah. Even, even midway through that, when you mentioned the barbed wire, I was going to drop some knowledge about Biodome with Paulie Shaw and <laughs> Baldwin. The, all the classics, yeah. mate. Just, if you've seen this, then you should watch this. If you've seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Biodome's actually really solid. It's yeah. actually, no, not really solid. It has Kylie Minogue. It's got Kylie Minogue in it. It's got Biodome. I mean, it's got like Scientology. No, he's not. He's a mad Christian, isn't he? The, the Baldwin. The Baldwin. Yeah. the Baldwin who's not actually related to Alec Baldwin. Did you know what? that? No. I, I might be making that up, but I'm 90% sure that even though Stephen Baldwin and Alec Baldwin look exactly the same they're not related in any way yeah he's a Baldwin yeah I know he's a Baldwin it's losing his name yeah yeah but I mean like, no, of the Baldwin I don't think he is it, I'll tell you what I'll edit it out of the podcast <laughs> if I'm wrong yeah, yeah, and right. none of this will ever no unless someone told me that in a pub and there was no phone battery left and I couldn't Google fact check it and I've just believed it for years and yeah, years I think, and years I think that that's what I'm going to Google it right now yeah I'm going to have a look oh that's not that one I've got I've got a no I've because got, I've seen those sort of like Ramones shirts where they sort of parodied it and they put the Baldwins and then it has the names. Here's a Stephen Baldwin. Because Alec is the leader of the Baldwins. The Alec, yeah, he's, he's the king man. He's Do the you know Warlord. what that was just then? No. That was my ketamine safe. Oh. Telling me I'm allowed a life. Safe. <laughs> yeah, safe. Um, hang on. Is Stephen... Why is that not working? Because I'm typing it on there. Technology. It's Stephen Baldwin. It's right, I edit these. Is, is Stephen Baldwin related to Alex Baldwin? It came up already. It did it. New. Oh, I don't say yes. Like his older brother Alex. Do oh, fuck you. Of course he is. Right, that's all getting cut out. Oh, what a load of shit. I've, for years I've been carrying around that fantastic anecdote. It's just completely untrue. Many you know, of the best anecdotes when I, when I um, first started working with Carol, you know Carol, the director of The Leap, who's fantastically sort of autistic. <laughs> and you know, you know. I didn't know that they measured autism <laughs> in sort of like. How yeah. brilliant. Well, he's marvellous. <laughs> to just spectacularly <laughs> magnanimously he's yeah he's fantastically autistic but um <laughs> yeah you know there are a few communities <laughs> diagnosed uh, just sort of flippantly like that <laughs> and you know how i you know how i like to weave a yarn <laughs> I'd, I'd like me weaving a yarn and he just tear it down with his phone while i'm talking to him i'd be like did you know that and he'd be like no it's just like you just don't fact check my stories no, bro like no, no. I've got nothing left if yeah, you do exactly. that just let exactly. me have my tail yeah, exactly. but he just couldn't let me have my tail so we well, don't talk fuck anymore fuck him <laughs> fuck that guy because I was thinking just today I was thinking what's it been a year lockdown I've, I've been throughout this I've been thinking what I'd do for summer two is bullshit <laughs> <laughs> Can I drive over yeah. and you can just lie at me about yeah. it? Just lie at me to it. Make just, it good, man. Just make some shit up about the Baldwin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tell me how Screech from Saved by the Bell is related to Mike D from the Beastie Boys. Just give me something. <laughs> I just need 
<laughs> just need a full shout out yeah. oh dear oh dear right we should start talking oh, about yeah. that so in 1979 both of these films came out and one of them just really really landed with audiences and the other one didn't and they've got some fantastic similarities but they also vary um, massively so the warriors obviously you know gang trying to get home from a murder that they've been framed for trying to get across the city and all of the gangs are after them and every single gang is just a comic book creation of just like you know the roller derby gang like yeah. I can just wonder what that gang actually yeah. get up to when they're not yeah. chasing after the warriors yeah. like, <laughs> paint their face and go out roller skating and do the baseball furies actually play baseball <laughs> just all day long do they have a little league team or how do they, how do they Furiously, yeah. <laughs> furiously play baseball. Yeah. Or come on, <laughs> hitting the ball. Just yeah, like and yeah, it, yes. It, like it's it's set in a reality. One thing I liked about um, New York films of that time is New York was New York in the seventies and eighties is probably my favourite place and time mm. in history. I'm just fascinated by a metropolis that has completely fallen apart and doesn't yeah. work. And when you watch a lot of these films, they don't exist in a real world. No, it's like a dystopian quality, I suppose, that New York in the seventies and eighties just had naturally within yeah. itself. To if you lived there, it must have yeah. felt like a sci-fi dystopia. Yeah, everything the Bronx is completely on fire, and mm. you know there's still all this money on. Wall Street but there's no money anywhere else and everyone's segregated and stuff and you feel that quality in the movies where they're like you know whether it's Escape from New York or it's like Bronx Warriors or, or why you know they, these films just live in a sci-fi fantasy world and that's them processing their reality and the Wanderers and the Warriors both do that where it's not like the Warriors the Wanderers has a much grittier real feel mm. than the Warriors but it has this magical reality as well with the Ducky Boys and you know it turns into this nightmarish freakishly sort of yeah and I mean I think the things with the and I always much preferred the Wanderers and it's one of those films where every time I recommend it to anyone I'll mention it they all go, oh yeah, yeah, I've seen that one. Whoa, yeah. Yeah. No, why not? Come uh, to play. No, yeah. shut the fuck up. Wrong film. Right? Like everybody's seen the the Warriors, and yeah, the the Warriors is, is cool, but yeah, it's everyone in the Warriors is a real archetype, like you're saying, and, and very. Um, a very one-dimensional character yeah. whereas I do find that with yeah, the not Bronx, even characters it's a comic book yeah. it's caricature it, it is a comic book and they lean into that with the Blu-ray release which I'm sure you've seen where Walter Hill has transitioned between certain scenes where it turns into a comic book panel and then zooms across a comic book page. I haven't seen that what in film in, in film yeah and it isn't cool you're not allowed to do that it fucking sucks in fact it pulls you right out of the film for a minute like it'll have um, matey from Commando uh, you know like saying something are you going to drop an army impression uh, <laughs> no I won't do that to you but uh, he got, I, I believe he plays Sully in Commando and he's the guy who he says remember when I promised to kill you last thank you I lied <laughs> so basically so uh, him, him I just yeah. very quickly on here no go on carry well, on he was, he was in Twin Peaks and stuff um, and he like for instance it will have him talking at the end of a scene and then it will just freeze frame his face will turn to 
badly rendered comic effect and uh, then it will zoom out of a panel and across Who's to another. he doing that for? Who's the audience that's demanded that? He, he's claiming because he has a little intro to it and it's the only version that's on Blu-ray. It's the only cleaned up version of the Warriors. That's insane. It, it, it fucking sucks, man, because he, he talks about, and don't get me wrong, I like War, War Hill, but um, he talks about how, oh, this was always a comic book movie and, and blah de blah But it's like, all right, well, we get it. If it's a comic book movie, then we get it by the fact that they're walking around dressed as... You don't actually need to literally slam the yeah. fucking panel at me. Exactly. You like, on-the-nose motherfucker. The fact that this geezer's a clown with a baseball bat is enough. Yeah. And the streets are just deserted, kind of post-apocalyptic yeah. dystopia that, uh, you know, we yeah, get... Yeah, I don't need Kapow and Biff. Exactly. But, yeah, so... So right. that answered very quickly. That actor's name is David Patrick Kelly. Yes. And he is the bad guy also in Dreamscape, which I fucking uh, love. So another one of my episodes, if you haven't, if you like, you know, like something like Inner Space or something like that, you should watch Dreamscape. Dreamscape is about guys who can, enter, people who can enter other people's dreams and someone is trying to enter the president's dream. David Patrick Kelly is trying to enter the president's dream and assassinate him. Nice. And uh, who's the guy who's like the poor man's Harrison Ford from Inner Space? Dennis Quaid. <laughs> Dennis Quaid has to go into the president's brain to try and protect him from David Patrick Kelly. And David Patrick Kelly is probably my all-time, all-time favourite screen villain. He's also the bad guy in that Streets of Fire, which is just... Another Walter Hill. Yeah, which is just a mad Walter Hill rock and roll New York dystopia film that's very rarely seen That's with Michael Parry. And I think it was near one of the 48 Hours... Yeah, he's in forty. Yeah, he's in forty-eight hours. Again, yeah, yeah. Again, Waterhill. He's obviously he's, Waterhill. He's in De Niro, he's, isn't he? he's also the creep in Adventures of Ford Fairlane, rock and roll detective, who's um, stalking the Pussycats, the Pussycat Dolls, or whatever they're called. Um, again, if you've seen this, you'll. Well, that's kind of another episode. I love Adventures of Ford Fairlane, rock and roll detective. Um, so he's yeah, he's literally one of my favourite villains. A cool story about the Warriors. Not a cool story, but a story, and I'm going to tell it. And this one's true. We. I well, went that's to, no good. Time. I, I was, Oh, I'll, I'll sprinkle it with something. I'll have Carol fact check. <laughs> <laughs> with his fucking awesome autism. <laughs> with his next level. <laughs> 10 out of 10. <laughs> we were in Coney Island. I went to Coney Island with my mate Stu, or a bunch of us. We finally went to Coney Island and it was in the winter and I did the, you know, beach towns are really haunting in the winter. Yeah. It was, it had that really sinister feel to it everything's closed down and that and it's Coney Island miles out of New York I don't know if you've ever been not to Coney Island no because obviously that's where the Warriors end yeah, up yeah. isn't it and when we were going back into town I was like oh we've got to jump the gate on the train we can't buy a ticket we've got to jump the gate we're at Coney Island the Warriors did it we've got to do it so me and my mate Stu McGee who my, my mate Stu's someone um who is a really kind of straight straight edge dude and, right. and you know toes the line he jumped the barrier with me immediately a cop just walks out and busts us and goes what do you think you're doing there lads and I was like I'm just a really big fan of the Warriors <laughs> and, they, and they do it in the Warriors so I wanted to do it and he was like well what happens in England if you jump the barrier 
And I was like, oh, they just say, don't do it again, kid. Especially if you drop a 70s If you drop a 70s reference. Yeah, they did it in Death Line. Yeah. And I just wanted to mind the gap. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you minding the gap there, kid? Because I love Death Line. Pretty much anything goes in London if you can just... Well, actually, Bob Hoskins in The Long Good Friday, I believe, and then they'll just... Talk yeah, yeah, they'll just go, I love it. Yeah. Like, I met Bob Hoskins once. I had him in the back of my cab, and he'd yeah. be like, you're not a cab driver. <laughs> you know how it goes in London. But anyway, I was like, I said to the guy, oh, you just say, don't do it again, kid. And the guy looked at me and he went, don't do it again, kid. And just nice. let me go. And I was like, New York's the shit, man. Americans just buy any old bullshit. So I didn't know I'd get some bullshit in there somehow. Yeah, so yeah. good. At least it was a story of you bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Carol was a nerve factor. Yeah. <laughs> so I totally got away with it. And away we went. So yeah, so the, the Wanderers, what's the, what's, the, what's the script to the Wanderers? What's well, the pitch? So... I mean, I think, first of all, one of the fun. A lot of people will have seen it, but a lot you know of people what, man? People I know who are film people yeah, haven't, haven't seen, seen the, the fucking Wanderers, and I'm yeah. like, Dude, this is just, it is, it literally is a... My favourite gang film of all time. Yeah, me too. It's one of my favourite films, period, You made a Wanderers jacket, didn't yes, you? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> That's so and, cool. Um, but uh, I was sort of like a one-man gang. But when I ran around, <laughs> if I was getting chased by the baldies and I whistled, it doesn't matter. No one was coming to my aid. <laughs> Not, not the Baldwins. <laughs> uh, I was mouthing There's off. only one of them anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he hasn't got any <laughs> <laughs> You lone child bastard, I was shouting at him. Where's your brothers? You can't. Who have one brother? Yeah, he's like, I don't have any. I didn't even chase me. At and least was, he's Italian, I think. I don't think so. He's just got brown hair. <laughs> yeah. I don't think Baldwin is a traditionally Baldwin. Italian name. <laughs> but... Uh, but, um, actually, there was a thing about his wife. I don't know anything about the Baldwin's. His, Alec Baldwin's wife, he was married to, and she was Spanish, and she would speak Spanish, and it took, she was totally faking. She's just making Not up a Spanish accent. Yeah. And then he's defending it, isn't he? Because it's oh, his wife. Well, I, I think thought he left her. I thought he was like, I married a Spaniard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you can divorce someone on the ground. Imagine finding out your wife's faking her accent. That she's, imagine finding out your wife's not Spanish. And you're still together? <laughs> it reminds me of so so this dude I know Mark Hayes, who's this he's this com- comedian from Cork, uh, based out in LA, and he goes up there and he, he, he tells his you know, he, he's at the comedy store and places and it's really hit and miss as to how in tune with very Corkonian humour the American LA audience is and he had one that just absolutely destroyed me and I think me only and he said uh, he said what's the what's the worst thing about getting a blowjob from Willie Nelson <laughs> realising it's not Willie Nelson <laughs> oh my god <laughs> and that's that's something like how Baldwin must have felt <laughs> But um, that's such a Corkonian joke. Yeah. That's brilliant. Oh God. But uh, but yeah. So um, so I think one of the the fundamental differences with the the Warriors and the Wanderers is the world that is set. And although there is this fantasy element to the to the Wanderers, and everyone has this gang and this uniform and kind of thing, it's very gritty and. Is very, uh, and I always wondered why I liked it so much, uh, you know, in the same sort of vein as Taxi Driver and a lot of those 70s movies, is because it's actually shot by Michael Chapman, who is the DOP of Taxi Driver, Raging Ball, and if you look at his IMDb, it's mental, like all of your favourite films. I didn't he fucking really shot. Yeah, Well, I was, I was going to talk about the writer, and he's got some great credits as well, but, but carry well, on. Well, yeah, and, well then, there's, then there's the, what, what the Warriors is actually, uh, sorry, the Wanderers, 
is an as an adaptation of the uh, of the novel by Richard Price, which was Richard Price's first first novel, I think, yeah. in '74. Richard Price, who then went on to basically The Wire. Uh, you can thank Richard Price for that because David Simon himself credited Richard Price for you know if it were if it weren't for him and his work like Clockers and Lush Life. Yeah, great and, film credits. Ra- uh, you know, Ransom, Sea of Love, Sea of Love, which I absolutely. Is this the screenwriter or is this? Um, uh, well, uh, yeah, um, Sea of Love was written by. It just says written by, so I have no idea if that was a book or. But it's still about great. Who is this? Who is this? Richard Price. Oh, this is oh, this is his screen credits. Right. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, he didn't he didn't write the screenplay of the of the No, no I know he didn't. I know he wrote um, the book, which yeah. is way more hardcore. And yeah, and exactly. And um the thing is with the with the book, as I was saying about the wire, uh I think he actually was involved in the wire. I know he worked with David Simon a bunch of times since on the Night of and the Deuce. Uh and um it's very much if you were to read the book of the Wanderers, it's a very short book. And you can see how it has that sort of Dickensian panoramic view of... It's very Dickensian. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it will just veer off like The Wire does. It'll have these protagonists and then it'll veer off into all these other peripheral characters for a whole chapter. There's that chapter, which in the movie is, is Turkey. They, they condensed a lot of them down for the film. Uh, the character of Richie in the film is, is more like uh, one of the other characters, about three characters condensed down. But yeah, I mean, the book is is very, you read it, it's, it's early 70s and it's still groundbreaking. You know, it has pages which are just playlists from the parties that they yeah, go yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. You've got that really dark chapter where the little brother of Richie's girlfriend um, convinces his mate to jump off of a building and shit. Yeah, and, yeah it's um, dark. It's, it's essentially, the, the, setup, the setup is basically a turf war between two gangs there's a black gang and an Italian gang and they have a falling out in, in class and they decide they're going to have it out Yeah, they're going to have a fight and then their sort of gang elders convince them instead to have a football game and they want to gamble on it and bet money on it And yep. it, uh, but what it does is that that's a milieu for talking about coming of age trying to get laid loyalty between friends what your the colors that you wear and who you are and and but and it brings in the vietnam war and it brings in yeah. oh, you know it, it just covers a lot a lot of ground in about 98 minutes yes yeah, definitely i mean people people treat it like it's a bit of a romp and a bit of a kind of um you know just a fight fest but and it's a shame because apparently Ken Wall, who plays the the lead, Richie. Uh, Do you remember for years I thought Ken Wall was leave the kid alone? Oh, like, really? I, I had the, I, I mean, we had an argument about it about three AM. I'm yeah. really drunk, and I'm going, "No, Ken Wall's the big." And yeah, you're like, no. "Dude, no." It's like Google it. But, but I never had heard of Google. I was like, Carol. <laughs> I just called him up yeah. at three AM. Can you Google Ken Wall for me? <laughs> I would do it myself, but you know we need someone with a bit of credibility. We need some authority. Yeah. So, uh, so, so, yeah. So, I, I think I read an article with him once saying that the movie originally was a lot more like the book. There was a lot more texture to the characters, and it went more, you know, in depth with a lot of that kind of stuff that's the, that the book does. But it just ended up on the cutting room floor. I think the studio ultimately wanted it to be more like Greece with fighting, you know, and um, which is a shame because the book. I mean, they never could have done that. Even now, reading the book. It's like yeah, it's cool. maybe maybe Larry Clark could just about what's have got, a start what's to got there. No, Abel Ferrara. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean Last Exit to Brooklyn. That even the film version that's watered down from the book. I'm trying to think. You know, what, do you want to go that dark? Does anybody? No, want... it, it really is. 
fucking dark. Yeah, book. heavy book. I remember you you gave it or you recommended it to me, and then I found it, and then I was like, holy shit! I made you a, buy it one yeah, time yeah, at like yeah. four in the morning. That's right. That's like, right. Uh, Everything we've ever done yeah. with the Bukowski breezer in hand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bottle of Glens and the best of intentions. Bottle of Glens and the worst of intentions. Buy that fucking book, right? <laughs> shop shop. Brick the window, <laughs> but leave eight quid. <laughs> uh, but yeah, a brilliant, brilliant book. But the film, yeah, I've I've also been trying to pin why I love the film so much, and I've got a few things. I wrote even even my notes are bullshit. I wrote the director directed Michael Jackson's thriller, which is just a total lie. Yeah, the writer Scorsese directed. Yes, yeah, yeah, no, no, the no John Landis directed that. Uh, the writer no, wrote. Oh, no, like, yeah, so he the did writer bad. wrote Michael Jackson's bad video. Yes, and Scorsese directed bad. Yeah, and, and I wondered, I wonder what the script for Michael Jackson's bad video looks like. Uh, two gangs Jack, meet in car Jack, park. Jack de they, they dance. <laughs> Michael yeah. Jackson says Wesley Snipes woohoo yeah. Wesley Snipes end yeah. 200 grand please yeah. uh, so those must have been some very cocaine fueled days but some of the things that I really like about it, obviously it's a brilliant teenage coming of age thing it's got these gangs the gangs are all kind of stereotypes and probably you know feel a little bit racially labelled these days but that it's of its time but, but they but they feel like real unities they do they, they do they do feel like real kids as well and that yeah they're playing into but you know when you're that age and and even now I think that the these films are more poignant now or, or perhaps they have a uh, a, a kind of uh, a new poignancy that we're becoming more tribal and more yeah. fragmented now and before long we're going to be walking around bare chested with leather waistcoats with our insignia just stitched on the back let's face it so uh well you got a wanderer's jacket so i've already got fun. a wanderer's jacket you got somewhere. one baldwin yep. on one side you got a fat checker yep. on the other you're gonna be just fine what is your what is your what is your gang gonna be <laughs> I, I want to be a, i want to be probably a ducky boy no you got to have your own gang you got to have your own your own crew oh i don't the stop the bearded mouth and it's just a big mouth with a beard around it just spouting yeah fact fact, fact. nonsense fact no, about celebrities fact. not being related <laughs> getting beaten up every other day <laughs> but yeah so I like one of the things I really like about it is just this dr it is dripping with nostalgia yeah. and it's sort of set, it's set in the 50s isn't it it's, well, it's, set, well, in, no, it's set in the late 60s late 60s Jeff K dies doesn't yes. it yeah yeah um, spoilers yeah um, Spoilers <laughs> for, uh, for historians out there. <laughs> In the 60s, JFK. <laughs> Spoilers, guys, JFK's dead. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, sorry, in the 60s. But it's, it is dripping with this nostalgia for that Americana time. Um, so just one other completely pointless digression. I was in New York, so this is how it's related. I was in New York one time and I was walking around, I think, the meatpacking district, and they, there's still a few relics just about there that have survived the gentrification spree, where I guess they must have, like Soho Books in town, <coughs> must have owned the building and then just not yeah, sold yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. They've not been pushed out. And there was this old, dusty old barbershop that I was walking by, and um, they had the, the pictures, the yellowed pictures of the haircuts you can get in the window, and one of them was JFK. JFK. And I thought, who's going to sit down in that chair and be like, give me a JFK? <laughs> JFK! So it just blows your head off. <laughs> back and to the left. How do you want it? <laughs> Can you just look up there, please, to one's that grassy knoll? <laughs> Girlfriend sat behind him just screaming, trying to climb out the window. <laughs> 
Well, it's no wonder they survived all these years, to be honest. They're in, uh, in, yeah. in Manhattan. You know? <laughs> oh, my God. They've never given that haircut. They've never once given that haircut. The shotgun's still loaded. Not a shotgun. It's a real messy haircut. Yeah. <laughs> Poor fucking broom boy's got his work cut out for the rest of the day. He's got a Winston Wolf round. <laughs> I haven't been back to New York. My girlfriend really wants to go to New York and... I haven't, last time I went to New York was 1999, so it's pre-9-11, mm-hmm. and you know, Beaker Records was still open, Coney Island Eye was still open, CBGB's was still open, Skate, skaters were still on the every street corner, and it felt like Larry Clark's kids. Yeah, Bleaker was still there last time I was there. I don't think it's there anymore. Really? I don't think so. Fuckery. Pretty sure it got sold off. And um, the bagel place, that really famous bagel place, which is still there, but I just... I just know it's going to feel very, very, very different. You know, mm. Grand Central Station was still a sort of no-go area. Yeah, yeah. And I, but I love all that. I love broken New York. And yeah. I'm going to go back and it's basically going to be a massive shopping mall. It, yeah, and I was I, there about two years ago. and It, it, it just it, feels completely different. Yeah, it sort of felt like... Because I've been to the West Coast a bunch of times, um, you know, when I was a teenager and, and you know, about 20-odd. But I never actually went to New York until I was you know probably until i was in my late 20s and uh it just felt like um it, it you know which was probably about uh, like you know eight nine years ago that i first went there and it was just like i'd arrived at the party at 11 in the morning and it was banging at about two o'clock and everyone's going oh calm down it's wicked two he's on ket and he's spanning out all kinds of bullets and i'm like oh, i'm on my way i'm just getting a fucking bottle of glens and uh, i'm gonna jump on the night bus and then by the time i've got there it's 11 a.m everyone's yeah. sick most people are fucked off yeah and it's just everyone's asleep and you're like ah oh, this is bollocks i've missed this party by a you know a it's long stretch so interesting that you say that because one of my notes that I wanted to get back onto the Warriors is um, one of the things I really like in film that I like but it gives me a bit of sweet sadness at the same time and the Wanderers does it brilliantly is so you know when he leaves at the end you know the end of the film yeah spoilers yeah I'll, I'll, I'll beep that bit so at the end of the film it has the it's 11 o'clock in the morning and the party's in. Or what I sort of say is it's Sunday at the festival and everyone's packing up their tents yeah. and going yeah. and you have this, oh, it's all over, isn't it? Half the people can't be fucked to even watch Metallica. Yeah, yeah that's right. Or they go, they're going, oh, I want to get into my car quickly because yeah. there's going to be a traffic jam. And you just, you've just had the most euphoric two days and you're like, oh, I've got to go back to the real world. And yeah. some of the f- other films that really done that for me is that where it feels like the last day of a festival and everyone's packing up their tent is Dazed and Confused, yeah. does it beautifully, Almost Famous mm-hmm. does it brilliantly both rock and roll films and The Breakfast Club yeah um, and I love in movies where you go on a journey with some people mm-hmm. that have really bonded and then they've gone through these trials and tribulations and they've come out the other side and they're all okay but it's never going to be the same as it was yeah Breakfast Club uh, sorry um, Days of Confused is a good comparison there because Wanderers has that hangout movie element to it it sort of sets up that premise like you were saying uh, where they, there's this uh, football game that's going to take place and then in the week leading up to that it's sort of just sort of in their lives and the japes and shenanigans that they get up to yeah, they elbow tit in the street trying to get trying to trying to get laid and hang out and just uh, you know they, they seem like very real kids in that respect but yeah and the use of the the Bob Dylan the times are a changing song again it, it it's more than just just the protagonist's coming of age story it is about that change in you know the world was changing bye bye that. Miss American Pie exactly it is yeah exactly 
Italian. He, they're, they're sort of the dregs of that 50s kind of um, American graffiti kind of lifestyle yeah. in a much more gritty setting. Yeah. But that sort of innocence is sort of coming away and they've gone to Vietnam. And Yeah, um, it's, the, it's the same ending but the exact opposite as Greece where they drive off at the sun. Yeah. These guys are like, oh, and actually, we, yeah, we can't, you know, we'll get on, get on with our lives but our lives aren't what we ever, yeah. you know, the dream is over. Yeah, basically. they sort of left high school and, and Richie sort of stuck in this don't too many spoilers but yeah uh, and um, at the end <clears throat> turns out uh, the alien's her dad yeah, yeah, exactly. You <laughs> fucked it, bro. But yeah, it has this beautiful poignancy at the end that not many films manage to really nail, and that one really nails it for me with that final bar scene where it's just yeah. so wonderful, but yeah. does just feel like, oh, it's 11 a.m. and I've missed the party, yeah. and it was the best night of everyone's life, and yeah. now the rest of it is just mundane. Or, or you know, it, it has this bit of sweet sadness with a real poignant beauty to it. I don't think it can go unmentioned that it is a boys film yeah and they're very they're very they're, they're of their time and they are these kind of um you know knucklehead laddish kind of the wanderers are a crap gang yeah but like yeah. they're the crappiest gang in the film like they've got yeah, the haircuts they've got and the haircuts that, and they, they get their asses kicked by everyone they do they they but they're kind of um yeah they sort they sort of are like a more real world bunch of almost greaser types you know that yeah. they um because Pretty boys is it in the i suppose they're they're kind of that but what i like about them is they're still pimple faced and they're still even richie who's like the good looking protagonist he still has kind of dodgy teeth yeah and uh they they seem like very they seem like very real guys they do. i think that um you don't see those kinds of characters no, you in don't. movies anymore everyone's really pretty and everyone speaks proper and they've all got perfect teeth yeah These, they're so fucking we're, not, we're not afraid of, i miss the anti-hero i miss the, the flawed character i watched promising young woman hmm. recently which is a solid movie with solid performances good story it's actually the exact same film that i've just made but from the female perspective right you know it's, it's yeah. pretty much the same plot but they have you seen it so wait, from the f uh, no no so I, it's, it's written and directed by female but yeah. it's about someone getting revenge for a past indiscretion yeah yeah so it's the same essential plot but from the female perspective rather than the male perspective but one of the things that really bothered me was they white knight the hell out of the lead character she's a victim of trauma and she's getting her revenge but they almost make her flawless and right. any time where you think she's going to go too far they pull their punches and pull it back because they want her to be sympathetic yeah. but you will be sympathetic to her even if she does nasty stuff yeah. because she's traumatised and she's trying to get her revenge yeah, yeah. but they don't we're so afraid now like someone said yeah, so they're afraid to have any nuance to any of these characters. Yeah, any depth and, or any uh, or flaws yeah. or someone. I, I was arguing with someone about something the other day, and they went, "Oh, that film's a misogynistic piece of shit." I can't remember what film it was. Oh, it was um, uh, the one Nocturnal Animals, which I absolutely love. Mm. Nocturnal Animals is a misogynistic film. It's you know, it's about a guy getting revenge on a woman for leaving him, and he sets up this elaborate thing to make her realise what she's missed and break her heart. Yeah, it's kind of a misogynistic tale. It's definitely written and directed by a man. Or men but that doesn't make it a piece of shit because it's misogynistic you should be able to have flawed characters really? like the story is basically I've written this book to make you fall back in love uh, with me it again was, so it that was, I'll stand it you was up adapted from the book wasn't yeah, it? yeah it was Tom yeah. Ford Tom Ford directed, and directed. Yeah. he wrote the screenplay yeah. as well did he yeah right so but it is that narrative does have its flaw like it is it doesn't have its flaws it's fucking brilliantly put together yeah. but it is a male revenge oh she left me so I'll make her fall back in love with me and then I'll stand her up yeah, I, I, 
I found that a bit more ambiguous than at the ending. When oh, really? It, uh, it felt more like he was kind of setting her free from the, um, you know, she was in that sort of relation, that quite loveless relationship. From what I remember, I saw once in the cinema, uh, and um, it seemed like she was kind of torn about her current relationship, and the he of course didn't turn up, wasn't going to turn up. Spoilers. And then, but she's come to some sort of realization that while well, I'm here, yeah. so that must mean something. I don't love that guy yeah. or whatever. Yeah, but well, I, I, I think so. I don't okay, know. so it, maybe it is more nuanced. I don't than think what, it was just quite like I stood you up, like I played knockdown ginger on you. But the uh, point still stands that I think that there is a. T- so my movie is quite misogynistic. Right. But what I'm that's an, that's an ad right there. Yeah, <laughs> all you assholes out there. But what uh, I'm trying to say is that there are misogynistic men, probably myself in the past. You know, trying to one of the alternative types. I'm thinking about this doesn't sound like one of two his classic virtue signals to me oh my movie's quite misogynistic I'm not trying to virtue signal I'm trying no, no, to hold myself fair. accountable that's what I'm saying I was thinking about calling it if here. it's a virtue signal it's a terrible one yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a garbage human guy <laughs> but you know it's just trying to say oh I'm trying to I'm trying to do better yeah. and, and maybe but I don't I've not been as terrible as this character it's a it's a dramatisation fictionalisation yeah. but I've not everything that's in this script is something I've known someone suffer at some point yeah. not perpetrated by me but perpetrated by someone yeah, yeah. so everything in there is based on something real even if it's dramatised And it, but I think that it's okay to have characters lead characters that are racist almost yeah. like American History X or, yeah, I mean, you know because like, if you're not talking about the flaws in society you're not yeah. learning anything about society well that's the thing with the Wanderers characters and they're a lot worse with all their all their sort of you know prejudices in, in the book um but I think that having them, having the those protagonists exhibit those kind of traits, it's it's it's, it's an important thing to, to do because uh, by no means is it acceptable or is it okay. But you kind of go, it, it, yeah, but they they're just trying to represent real kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The way yeah, that kids these, are the way, yeah, the way that these Italian kids in the Bronx in the sixties are going to talk, they're going to talk like yeah, that. and. Um, it's it doesn't heroize them no, for it. No, uh, totally. those, it, just, it just says kids are flawed. Kids have got bad ideas. Yep. Kids think with kids their are, dicks. Kids are dicks. These, yeah. yeah, these guys, are, these wanderers. You know, they're douchebags. But this is them. But they're this is where they're from. Yeah, 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 this yeah. is where and you're, you're invested. But in these them. days, executives would clean up their act and they say you can't have your lead character calling someone the n-word it's or... a very different yeah it's a very different thing i think when you're when you're trying to normalize those kind of things i i, I think are much more um damaging in the culture when you I have stuff so. that is just stuff that i see more marketed to teens and young adults and kids which is um yes the stuff that's stuff that's casually normalized rather than quite extreme examples of or, or examples of characters like the Wanderers or when you go yeah you know these guys you know they, they are what they are I think that if you were to idolise these people to the point where you walked around talking like that then or made a to, jacket yeah exactly <laughs> made a jacket uh, and uh, no, but if you to the point where you walked around talking like that and thinking it was cool it was alright then we got a problem but um, we stopped playing Elbow City years ago by the way didn't we at you stopped playing <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah that, and that brings me on to one of the other things that's really nice when we talked about that unity that they sort of need to learn the hard way by butting heads and then coming together yeah. you've got this gang called the Ducky Boys and what I really love so that's where the movie sort of edges into horror territory dreamlike magical reality but what I think is really clever about that is 
the ducky boys are sort of an existential threat that exists when you leave your block or your neck of the woods and I think with the gang situation in New York you basically had postcodes where you couldn't go beyond that yeah you've got it you got it here you know yeah yeah you totally do of course you do and it's like Ed Night Shyamalan's The Village or something like that where it's like if you go beyond the borders there's this darkness out there that's waiting for you and that is beautifully personified by this gang of like just grey no faced silenced we are everywhere they're almost like zombies they just come at you and they're one minute they're there and one minute they're not and it's it's the psyche of the the teen growing up in New York that says if I go beyond my borders it's dark and it's misty out there and there's things out there waiting for me and it I've never seen a film I can't think of M. Night Shyamalan's The Village but that's not a great film that does that where it's like oh here's the existential dread of what's beyond your knowing when you're a teenager yeah and ultimately that's what brings sort of unity to yeah. the gangs within, yeah. within the Bronx is this external threat of yeah. these, uh, these these outsiders who we don't, don't play by about. any of the same yeah, rules yeah, yeah. Uh, they don't they don't speak you know the same. in the book they're supposed to be Irish yeah. but um, they um yeah, they're these strange kind of religious. Um, yeah, like you said, because oh, the church solid. scene. I forgot about yeah. the church. Really bold choice. Really yeah. bold director's choice to make them. They're all wearing grey. They all look yeah. like ghosts. You know, it becomes very nightmarish. We don't know where we are. Like it's a really bold stylistic choice to go that way. And then you know that scene at the end is just so haunting and yeah. freaky. Well, that transition actually from where the film goes. Um, and they, they, they actually shot that. Yeah, they where they're be, singing. Yeah. They actually yeah. shot that on their last day of f- filming and um, they just set up the camera and the sound, uh, mic'd them up in the car and just left them to drive around. There was no director, no no one present. They just let the three of them drive around in the car and they're all just singing and riffing and singing that, that like doo-wop song. They then turn a corner and then bang, they're in the bad part of town. Right, where are there's, we? There's this yeah. dark, there's smoke and all these weird zombie characters. But even that, even that scene starts with they're stalking a woman. Yeah, they're, they're following. They're following Karen a woman. Allen. They're following Karen Allen yep. from Indiana Jones. They're following her for no other reason than she's quite hot. Yeah, which is just an amazingly dark thing to do. Like, I mean, you love it. They're just having fun. They're just kids having well, fun. Well, I guess the difference is, I guess, the, the, and, and again, going back to <clears throat> what we were saying about the way they speak and stuff like that is because you know these characters, you're watching it, you know what their intentions are. Yeah, you, it doesn't take that same weird rapey turn that the warriors takes where they grab up the woman yeah, and yeah, yeah, her yeah, yeah. and you're kind of like what's going on here and then matey with the leather gloves tries to tries to you know come on strong with uh, the oh girl with the girl page. yeah the girl um, yeah and um and yeah. yeah, so it doesn't. They they don't have that kind of edge to them in the warriors in the wanderers. They yeah. just seem like, uh, you know, they seem just sort of like you know knucklehead jock douchebag kind of. Um, slightly more nuanced I am really I am really aware of how women are portrayed now more than I ever have been in movies and I do see it all the time when you watch anything that's more than 10 years old you can just see that it's written by a guy and you can see that the women all I read I read something really interesting just a meme about Princess Leia where she's like uh, she's like my home planet has just been blown up but tell me again about your Jedi master your dead Jedi master father I'm really interested yeah then they, make, they, they make her kind of a stronger leader in the second one and then they've got her chained up to a giant yeah, slug in a bikini, bikini yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and one thing I was thinking about there actually was uh, I know we barely talked about the warriors but one other th- one of the other 
He talks about the Warriors plenty. Yeah. I, we know, not really plenty, but I told a brilliant Enough. story about Cody uh, Rhodes. Exactly, that's all you need to know about the Wanderers, to be honest. Uh, the word, fuck this, I keep messing them up. <laughs> so I don't even know what I've seen. But the, so one thing about, you, you mentioned about the, um, the sort of slang that they use and all the sort of racially loaded stuff. There is that scene in the classroom where... Amazing scene. Yeah, where they basically, each group, you've got like two main demographics in a classroom. You've got the Delray Bombers mostly, who are the African-Americans, and you've got the Wanderers who are Italian-Americans. And they're trying to throw up every different um, slur, every racial slur for each each other side while the teacher trying to write them down on the board and they're coming thick and fast and the the, the point he was trying to make was because it was brotherhood week he was saying yeah. that scene is also in the book as well he's trying to make the point that these these words are all you know they're they're just they're, they're pretty thin you know you yeah, run they out exist on, to divide us yeah. but you they're actually you exactly just, you run out the same soon thing and then, yeah, then yeah, they're right yeah, yeah, you yeah. know so um so so a, a part of it is to do with them getting past their kind yeah. of... Uh, Get it all out of your system and then where are we at? Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, which does kind of happen in the film. The other thing was that... Um, which is nice because it's foreshadowing. Exactly. It's the journey that they're exactly. going to go on, which is clever writing. And so and so then the um, the scene where they do join the Marines, the Baldies, do you remember the guy, he says, I can't remember exactly what he says, but he says, how about joining the biggest gang in the world? Yeah, the and American he Army. The American yeah. Army, yeah. And, uh, We're yeah. ruining this film, but... Well, this is... Uh, yeah. No, but they're no, but they're entire. They're reasons to watch it because it is saying a lot about America. But carry on. Well, we can always put the uh, an intro on there saying if you've there seen are, these there films, spoilers. go and watch it and then come back yeah, and listen yeah, to yeah, us yeah, talk yeah, yeah. meandering bollocks yeah. around and about it. Yeah. Um, but uh, so yeah, so those were just some of the things I think it's also not given credit on when I've when I have seen. The, the very few reviews of it you know it's I've an seen. extremely broad tapestry I can't think you know like it's a broader tapestry than The Outsiders yeah which I love yeah you know it's a broader tapestry than Once Upon a Time in America which I love yeah you know it's, I mean Once Upon a Time in America covers 30 years but it's quite yep. a narrow tapestry it's one yep. family it's you yep. know a little bit of love a little bit of revenge a little bit yep. of brotherhood but this you know this talks about a lot of American psychology at the time and it I just would just watch The Wanderers it's a brilliant, brilliant film. It's hard to get hold of, and the reason that I think the reason is probably hard to get hold of is because it has the most mon monumentally fantastic soundtrack, yep. and it's probably a licensing nightmare. Actually, actually, the soundtrack has always been available in HMV. When yeah, you, you probably just can't stores. release a Blu-ray without going into all of those right. contracts and yeah. saying who do we owe royalty. I bet you those contracts are just a mess. Yeah, because it, it is a it is a killer. It soundtrack. is an absolutely phenomenal hit after yep. hit. After yep. hit I used to have the soundtrack on vinyl. I have it. And yeah, with the blue and yellow yeah, as a yeah. gatefold. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just absolutely brilliant. Uh, but I think that is probably the reason why it's hard to repress now because there's probably about 25 licenses that they've got to go in and untangle. Because when they would have done those deals, they wouldn't have said 4K Blu-ray. Yeah. It would have said a home theatrical, a home a theatrical release, a home release on VHS yeah. or, or whatever. Do you yeah, know? it's weird because it is out in certain territories. There is an American Blu-ray. There's that German one that I. But it's just not here in the UK. It's in the UK, and I think it's largely because it just isn't that big. There it, isn't. It, there it, isn't a demand. On the one hand, because it, it came out around the same time as the Warriors, and the yeah, Warriors they're both, really. They're both yeah, and the Warriors just blew it out of yeah, the water. Yeah. Even though the Wanderers is by far, you know, the better film. Uh, the War, the Warriors, though, uh, I don't know if you 
were aware is based on true events in that there was a gang yeah, in yeah, New York yeah yeah chased across, chased and, across and, town yeah and, and the guy there was a gang in New York and then there was a meeting to try and have a kind of parlay of some sorts and then the geezer got I think stabbed not shot right and uh, and it all kicked off oh, and shit. Um, it wasn't quite it wasn't quite can you dig it it wasn't quite that can you dig it in some (laughs) weird parking lot with dudes in spandex and clowns and uh, and David Patrick Kelly just being all weird yeah I just like doing things like that (laughs) yeah yeah, but uh, he's brilliantly creepy, man. He's he exists in a magical reality just with his face. Yeah, you yeah. Know? He has very very pointy features. He's very little goblin like kind of kind of dude. Uh, and yeah, you can just. Yeah. I am interested in films where like I'm going to do one of my other podcasts is going to be in 1990 or 91. I can't remember. Goodfellas came out the same year as Miller's Crossing, and they're both gangster films, but mm-hmm. they both tell the story very differently. And Goodfellas obviously has just gone on to become this classic, but Miller's Crossing is probably not favourite film of all time really I absolutely think it's perfect in every way I'll do another podcast on it but Goodfellas just so outshone it that even though people know and love the Coens Miller's Crossing is the one where they go oh I watched it once I didn't really gel with it and it just it absolutely deserves reappraisal these both come out in 1979 the Warriors just ran away with it, and yeah. so the Wanderers just got forgotten. But the Wanderers is by far the better by film. By far the better film, and it's, it's unfortunate that they're similar themes. They're both gangs in New York, and they have really almost identical names, yeah. which really stomped out the Wanderers. Yeah, just, which, I mean, I only got the Warriors. I did another podcast on this, but in my shitty video shop, yeah. they couldn't afford the big hits because the big hits were expensive they got the smaller films because they were less money to buy yeah. so if every time everyone time someone at school went have you seen The Warriors I'd be like no my shop's got The Wanderers have you seen that and that's why I saw it because they couldn't afford a copy of The Warriors yeah. so they got like a sound alike and I was like oh have you seen this one this is better but I guess more affluent friends will have got the Warriors because they'll have had a better video shop than exactly. the shitty little corner store. Yeah, I had it randomly. Like I saw it when I was 13 and it was like one other dude in my year yeah. that had seen it. And it's... Um yeah, it's, it's a strange one because it's it really is like a classic. It is like a Goodfellas or like it is a Taxi a, it Driver. Is a Again, largely because of the fact it's shot by Michael Chapman. It has exactly the same look and feel as something like you know Taxi Driver, where it's written by the guy who helped create The Wire. Yeah, yeah, know, exactly. Yeah. So it has this epic kind of quality about it. This this timeless classic kind of about it, but no one's seen it. And part of that, I think, is what makes it. Uh, you know, I think that's why people sort of cling on to it so much. Those people who are fans of it take a kind of ownership over us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a real affinity like, to it where I'm just yeah. like, that film's mine. So on the one hand, I want everyone to see it. On the other hand, stay I away from it. Off, <laughs> yeah, it's okay. ours. It's yeah, ours. Exactly. It's mine. So I'm going to wrap it up quickly there because we've chatted for an hour. Lovely, lovely chat. When can we see your film? Um, it's gonna. We're gonna have a crack at the festivals uh, for the rest of this year. The so I'm gonna aim for Toronto. I'm gonna aim for Toronto. Um, so I'm aiming for November Toronto. So I'm gonna f- finish by July August, hopefully. Right. Okay. Um, and you're happy with the way post is going? Yeah, it's looking great. Um, it's again. Um, I got a great bunch of people involved. I got Glenn Fremantle doing the uh, the sound design. Who 
uh, he won the Oscar for Gravity and he does all Danny Boyle's films and stuff like that so um, that's definitely um, that's amazing yeah you definitely want him doing your sound yeah that's, um, that's, um, sound is so 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 important to local yeah. stuff it's where the most of things that I see where it lets, really lets them down and betrays their budget is where the sound just isn't full enough and rich enough exactly and you want that ambience uh, you know for the sort of lonely sort of desert that yeah. they're out in and then, then there's a lot of the musical numbers as well so yeah. getting that sound on point is definitely a key factor with something like this did uh, you find that so I, one of my one of our mutual friends is one of the most talented people I've ever known I won't name him in case he doesn't want this to be revealed but he's made a couple of works of art that I think are truly incredible works of art and he was just saying the other day that due to lockdown and that he feels very disconnected from people very lonely well not very lonely but he's felt isolated and that and, but also feels like he's not achieved very much. And I'm like, are you kidding? You're one of the most talented people we know and you've created these incredible works of art. How can you possibly think that way? Has this scratched the itch for you? I, I don't know. Did you say he's a mutual friend of ours? Yeah, I'll tell you who he is afterwards. But, um, like... I don't know anyone talented. <laughs> <laughs> it's Khaled. But I'll... I'll, I'll oh, Khaled, that. yeah. yeah. No, yeah. So he feels like he hasn't achieved anything, but those albums... Yeah, and, and Khaled, uh, yeah, definitely one of the most awesome guys ever. He's like... You know in City of God, you've got that dude, uh, Benny, his name is. I'm going to like, stuff out. He's like, the, he's like the, the guy that everyone Everyone likes. loves that he's guy. He's just a cool guy. That's why I was saying, how can you possibly feel unfulfilled? You've put two amazing albums out into the world and everybody worships you and then I was like fuck does it never end no, for the artist they, those guys are musicians and they're used to playing live and they're used to that, that yeah, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay, okay. So, um, but, but, but has this scratched the itch or is yeah, it just like is, what's this, next this, what? this is scratched more of a um, of, of a 10 year itch yeah. which, which is like you know when you go and you know I made the first movie again all on my own dime just because I was like, fuck all this, God, I'm never going to get funded. I'm, yeah, yeah, fun. yeah. I'm just going to shoot this thing. And, and that was, um, you know, it, it, it was a feature, So and it was done over a period of years, so it was kind of like a film school uh, situation. You learn so much from that. But then it's, you know, it's 10 years of doing nothing, and found myself at the same point where, because after doing that movie, I was like, all right, the next thing I'm going to do is going to be produced, it's going to be financed properly, because there's so many nightmares with dealing with people when there's not proper contracts in place and there's not proper money in place and just relying on favours from people and all that kind of thing. I was like, never going there again. After a good eight years or so, I just went, fuck this, I'm just going to go and do it again, because yeah. this is just, you're just constantly hog tight and you can't do anything and you can't uh, you're just waiting for other people to say yeah, yes no, you've either, when, you, when you're starting out you've just got to go and do it haven't you but even now, yeah but even now at this point is what I'm saying like where you know a bunch of my scripts have been in development with major studios yeah. and you're still like yeah but this is yeah I've sold four now I've sold four screenplays now but this is the first one that's been made yeah so, and again it was because you went fuck this I'm going to go and get the funds myself yeah, and yeah, I'm going to go and make yeah, it that's myself. it, that's it. It's the because, I do want to shout out to my producers they were amazing so I didn't produce this one I, d I did all of the meetings and I did all the reassurances and I did all the due diligence mm. but I did actually have produced but, but we've done it on a very low budget oh but, definitely I mean you know like I said I've got, I've got another thing Currently, um, with um, you know Paradox House, Merlin and Greer who are producing yeah. thing, and, and they're great, you know, and they're they're we're, I, like I said, we're, we're we're getting all that together, and it looks like it's you know it's about to go, but you just never know, and it has been a long process, and so I would say to anyone, even when you're in that situation, because I found myself having all these things in um, you know development, and then you get to a point, and people are like, especially when I'm on to direct, which I which I normally am with my scripts. 
Did I, what have you done? Yeah, like, well, yeah, can yeah. I really show him this black and white no, Jim Johnson? It's also just a catch 22 until you back me. Yep. I can't do anything. Exactly. And I can't show. It is a catch unless you come out of film school and then they go, oh, we trust you because you've got this yeah. this certificate. And it's, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Um, but I, I've loved the process. I did go through a bit of a afterwards, you, you go from being on set, surrounded by people a thousand miles an hour to being alone with footage, scared to look at it in case it's not very good and nobody's there. Like I did have this weird afterworld sort of postnatal depression yeah, whereas definitely. I've given birth to this thing and now yeah. I'm all on my own it's a very weird thing directing oh no definitely because again with myself I went and shot it in December and then I came back here to London I was in Spain for most of the most of the autumn and yeah. start of the winter I've come back here in January and it's bleak it's freezing cold can't see everybody's anyone. miles away yeah. um, like uh, you, you can't see most of your mates my girlfriend's on the other side of the world and it's just absolutely and there were other things there, were, there there was a Covid situation in my family and it was fucking sucked man. Yeah, it's, really, like, it's a real come down it is, it it is, is a it's real like a real down. kick in the nuts kind it's of 11 a.m the party's yeah. over yeah, yeah. pack and up I'm, your tent yeah and my friends have have fucked off to do yeah. their own thing Alec Baldwin went Alec early Baldwin doesn't Carol. even care to chase me anymore because <laughs> that whole dream is dead it's just me <laughs> Wanderer's jacket it's just you and the Robocop blob yeah the Robocop blob <laughs> and you're walking up drowning our sorrows <laughs> in a fucking bottle of tango and uh, singing there's no booze left yeah and singing the times they are changing <laughs> so yeah watch the Warriors um, Screaming Joe Sangre um, Spider Sisters watch it keep an eye out for it thank you very much for your time I'm going to wrap it up there that's a good hours chat yes and keep up to date with that shit I suppose on Instagram where uh, you know where are yourself on, what's your I, this, well, this is leaving Las Craigas podcast I'm that, that that it's on no it's it's got a Facebook page but it's, yeah. it, we, I'm in the process of setting all that up I've oh. got about 20 episodes of this now there's a, there's a SoundCloud and there's yeah. a Facebook and there's, it's on the podcast it's on uh, Spotify and yeah. Apple and, and all of that sort of stuff but yeah I will post links I okay. will post, cool. so send me links and yeah. I'll post links and yeah please and you can get myself on Instagram at Joe Sangre or Joe Sangre Art which is the dumping ground for all of the art stuff because that's one thing I forgot to mention I've also dabbled in about that you are an artist <laughs> yeah. you are an artist so yeah so get at us there and um you could send your comments, but frankly, don't, because don't they're comment. not going to be very nice. No, it'll just be about autism. It'll be like, I'm, I'm autistic, and I'm fact- autistic. <laughs> Fuck you, Craig. I'm fact-checked, yeah. and you're an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> None of what you've said is true, as it turns out, Craig. <laughs> Stop being an asshole. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. I'll catch you next time. Leaving Las Craigas starred Craig Toohey and Colin Wallace and was produced by Craig Toohey and Colin Wallace. Audio post-production by Sal Matt Dempsey and Phil Egan. Leaving Las Craigas.